Hey, good morning, CBC family. Uh, we're glad that you uh, tuned in today and joined with us for a time of worship and just bringing the word. Um, our family is finally out of uh, the quarantine phase, uh, got through COVID and um, the sickness related to that. Uh, just want, wanted to thank everyone that either uh, helped us in some way or offered to help. I mean, really, there was... Um, just an abundance of uh, uh, caring for us. And so we, we do thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts for, for that care and concern. And um, we're, we're glad that uh, that is past and uh, we're back to somewhat relatively normal, as normal as normal can be in 2020. Um, this morning, uh, it, it is actually the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent means coming. Um, and historically, um, going way back hundreds of years into the early church, uh, a lot of times when we talked about Advent, it was anticipating the second coming of Jesus. And then through the years, uh, that that uh, remained, but also there was the focus on uh, the Advent or the coming of Christ in his first birth. And so every day we anticipate the second coming of Jesus. One day he will return. This was prophesied in Acts chapter 1 by the angel to the disciples when, when the angel said uh, the Lord will return the same way uh, that he he ascended. And um, when I thought, thinking about just Advent and this idea of coming, um, I mean, really... Maybe, maybe more than any time in my life that I can at least remember, I've, I've just heard more and more Christians longing for the day that Jesus returns. And I think like the saints of old, we find ourselves asking, how long, O oh Lord? How long are you going to let wickedness continue? How long are you going to let injustice prevail? And how long are you going to let people rebel? Um, when I come to Galatians chapter 4, and, and that is our text uh, this morning, um, in Galatians chapter 4, um, and really we're going to look at verses 4 to 7, but, but verse number 3, it, it talks about that in the same way, we also, talking to believers, when, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. We're reminded that even as Christians, there was a time when we were counted among the wicked, when we were the people in rebellion, when we were the people that were uh, running to in injustice, and we were, as Paul says, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And so while we long for Jesus to return, and he will, we also understand that the Lord has been patient with us. And so let us be patient with others and let us tell them of the hope that we have in Jesus. And we rest assured in this hope that Jesus will return because he came the first time just like was prophesied. And God's word is true and it will always come to pass. So as we wait Jesus's return, as we wait for him to come back, we then now prepare our hearts and minds for this Christmas season. This anticipation of Jesus coming the first time. So this first Sunday Advent and, and certain traditions will, will, um, will put certain themes 
um, maybe a little bit differently on each week, but uh, but but I, I think really this first Sunday of Advent is this focus on the prophetic hope that we have. When we think about hope, I want to ask a question here. What are you hoping for in the coming weeks? As this year winds down, what are some things that you're hoping for? And if you want, take a moment, pause the video here, and share some things as a family. Um, things that you're hoping for over the next few weeks. Many things have changed in 2020, but the reality of Jesus' incarnate birth and its eternal importance has not changed. And so we anticipate here in the coming weeks a season of love, joy, peace. We anticipate it by focusing our minds around the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He is our true hope. So here in Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 7, and, and I just I just want to read, I'm going to read these verses for you, but Paul talks about this amazing hope that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. So let me read, let me read these uh, four verses here for us. Galatians 4, verse number 4 through 7. Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Then an heir through God. Paul talks about this hope of redemption that we have. And he says, this redemption has come so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Naturally, that means we're, we're not in the family of God. But adoption is possible. And with adoption comes amazing blessings. And, and just for a few moments this morning, I, I want us to focus on a couple aspects of our salvation that Paul highlights here. In spiritual adoption, we become the sons and daughters of God. In verse number 6, Paul, he he talks here about, he says, and as a son, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. As sons, God has sent his spirit to indwell us, and he draws us into this, this loving parent-child relationship. And right here, we have one of three references in scripture to the, this, this phrase, Abba, Father. It's a term of closeness. He is our Father. I mean, what an amazing sense of comfort. He is a Father to His children in the purest and truest sense of what a Father is. Now, I don't know what your life experience is, but it may be that your experience of a of a Father, of an earthly Father, is not something that excites you. Because it wasn't this pure and true sense of what a father was supposed to be. But whatever you are missing in an earthly father, whatever you are missing in an earthly father, 
the picture of God here is that God will supply all of those needs as a heavenly father. Verse 7 even says that you are made an heir. Being an heir implies that, that there's an inheritance that awaits you, which, which Ephesians chapter 1, we're not going to look at that, but lays out much of that spiritual inheritance, the riches that we have in Christ. But what, but what we see as we think about if you are a son, then you are an heir, is that not one of God's children will be forgotten. Not one of his children will get the short end of the stick and be left out. All are made heirs, which means God sees you fully as his son and daughter. So you're not trying to earn his favor or to gain your inheritance or to gain your status. This inheritance, this status as adopted son and daughter is granted because Jesus has redeemed you. True hope rest in the reality of our identity in Christ, who we are as children of God in Christ. So, so I want to here for a few moments, um, I, I want to focus in here on this hope of adoption, this hope of adoption as sons and daughters into God's family. And it comes in, 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 in or through three ways. This hope of adoption into the family of God, first of all, comes at the right time. Note, notice here what Paul says in, at the beginning of verse number four. He says, but when the fullness of time had come. When, when the time was completed, when the totality of days had happened. Notice Paul here is, is talking about a past event. event. He says, when the fullness of time had come. So what is Paul doing? He's looking back all the way to that first Christmas. When God the Father planned for Jesus to be born. When the completed time had come at just the right time. It was not an accident. God is a God with a plan. So He's not just winging things in life. And what verse 4 is telling us is that God has appointed times for all things, even the redemption of his people. Now, when I go on vacation, I, I tend to like the plan, but I like to at least have an idea of what to do. What's around? Where are we going to go? And, 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 and you know, where, where are the best, again, going back, where are the best places to eat and, and uh, find donuts or... Or uh, where's the best kids thing to do? What What's fun around that we can do as a family for, for the kids? So I like to have an idea of what there is to do. But I also don't necessarily like to have this hard and fast fixed plan. I like to be able to wing it a little bit. So if we don't feel like doing something, then we don't do it. Or if there's something else that comes along that one of the locals say, hey, you got to check this out, and we find that it's better than some of the other things that we were thinking about doing, then we can do that. And maybe your personality is similar. Maybe it's a little bit different. But I say all that to say, when we think about God, God is not reacting to his feelings each day. He, he's not making adjustments on the fly. 
He's not saying, hey, I found a better option here, so I'm going to try this instead. He is carrying out a thorough, calculated plan in which he is calling his people out of enslavement to this world at his appointed time. Just like he carried out his plan to send Jesus at just the right time. During this COVID period and, and, and the election cycle, some, some have questioned why God is allowing certain things to happen. Why is he allowing this? Why is he allowing that? But, but we rest as, as people of God knowing that all these are ordered according to his plan. He is God, not us. And he orders our future just like he ordered the past. So this, this fullness of time in the, the grand scope of God's plan is still unfolding in our world. He has not forgotten or fallen asleep. And so as a Christian, we praise the Lord for his perfect timing in our lives, for the things that he is ordering and allowing to happen even now. We praise him for how he's brought about the situation that ultimately brought about our faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, just for a moment, and, and I think you can pause the video here again and, and share together as a family and, and thank him in prayer. But reflect back on your life circumstances and how you came to know the Lord as your Savior. And thank him for the perfect plan that brought you to faith in Christ. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home or maybe you didn't. But think about those details and how God worked his plan of redemption in your life. And, and spend some time, again, pause the video for a second and, and, and share those things as a family. And just thank the Lord for how he ordered your life. You see, the hope of adoption into God's family comes at just the right time. But number two, it comes through the incarnation. That's a big word. We're going to talk about what that means. But on that day, God the Father sent forth God the Son. This, this uh, phrase here, this verb, in, in verse number four, God sent forth his Son. The verb indicates that someone is being dismissed from someone's presence. But it also has the idea to be sent out on mission. So right here in this, in this verb, this goes against any belief that Jesus came into existence at his birth. The term incarnation means embodiment, or it means to take on flesh. Jesus Christ is eternal, and he was with the Father who then sent him forth on a mission. And this meant taking on flesh. The incarnate God, who was then, Paul says, born of a woman. So this mission that, that the Father sent the Son out on didn't start in grand fashion. He was born a lowly baby, born to a woman who is culturally scorned because she was a virgin who was with child, and all the stigma that came with that. But this being born of a woman was necessary because Jesus had to become human. He took on 
human flesh. What, what humility we see in this phrase, born of a woman. I mean, if we're around church and, and the idea of Christmas for any length of time, it, it might seem like, yeah, I've heard this before. Jesus was born of a woman. He was born to Mary. Okay, great. But, but think about this. God, the creator, was born of a woman like me and you were born of a woman. Like anyone else, he was fully dependent on a mother to nurture and care for him. Jesus was fully human. And this humanity of Christ is vital to the Christian gospel. Because only someone who is human can redeem a human. It's Jesus' humanity that makes the hope of adoption into God's family possible. At the same time, okay, Jesus is fully God. And this divinity of Jesus, this being God, is vital to the Christian gospel because only someone who is God can redeem. Period. Only God can redeem. And it's the divinity of Jesus that makes the hope of adoption into God's family possible. So this doctrine of the incarnate Christ, not created but, but, but born of a woman, is an essential Christian doctrine because without it, we have no hope of redemption. We have no hope of adoption. And so we must have a Jesus who is both sent forth and not created and born of a woman, taking on flesh, and our hope is ultimately tied to the truth that God became man. And, and while other religions and, and other people might say this is not possible, it's not possible for God to become man, this is what we see. And we see that it did happen just as was prophesied. God came. And so the hope of adoption into God's family comes at just the right time. It comes through the incarnation. Number three, it comes through the law. The next phrase here in verse number four, it says that Jesus was sent forth and he was born under the law. Now for everyone else born under the law, this didn't end well. The, the law was The law always resulted in death because no one could ever obey it. Guilty was the only verdict anyone under the law could expect. The law cannot bring life as it's impossible for anyone to keep the law perfectly. Kids, I'll talk to you for a minute. You, you know this. You, kids, teens, you're under the law of your parents in your house. Right? You probably heard them say it. While you're in our house, you're under our rules. You're under our law. Have you ever kept this law perfectly? I mean, being honest. No. You, you don't, even their law, you can't keep perfectly. Maybe you think, well, well, their law is so inconsistent, it's hard to. And I'm guilty as a parent, having inconsistency in my law. But don't, don't judge your parents, okay? Parents aren't perfect. We, we readily admit that. 
But it's impossible even to keep their law, their standards, let alone God's. And so we don't present ourselves as perfect, obedient children in every way. However, we do like to present ourselves as perfect or at least really good people when we think about our relation to God. We, we rarely refer to ourselves as lawbreakers. Some of us even kind of bristle at the thought of that. Oh, I don't, I don't like thinking about myself in negative terms like that. I'd rather think, hey, I'm a pretty good person rather than think I'm a lawbreaker. But it reminds me of a story in Matthew chapter number 19. And if you want to turn there, I'm going to turn there myself and, and just take a look at uh, a couple verses. There's a story of the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. And in verse number 16, it says, And behold, a man came to him, talking, a man came to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments, keep, keep the law. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ha, here, listen to what the young man says. A lot of times what we say, all these have I kept. What do I still lack? I'm a good person. I've kept these things. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, if you're a perfect keeper of the law, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You see, this man, like many of us, we, we sort of bristle at the thought that we are lawbreakers. Oh, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not lying and, and bearing false witness. I honor and respect my father and mother. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. But yet Jesus gets to the heart of the matter with this man and, and points to his love of riches. And, and, and we find that at the minimum, he, he's someone who is covetous and has a love for riches and loves riches over God. So he's placed an idol there in his life, among other things, I'm, I'm sure. But it reminds me of James chapter 2 and verse number 10, where James says, Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point, he is guilty of all. So this rich man, he, he thought, boy, I, I'm pretty good. I, I do pretty good at keeping the law. But Jesus says, if, if you stumble in one point, if you break the law in one area, you're guilty of the whole law. An illustration I, I've come to use um, in explaining this to, to people and, and also helps me to process it as well is um, I think about the law of our state. So we, we live in Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania has a law, and that law encompasses all sorts of things, including things like murdering and stealing and, and, and some more serious crimes that way. But then the law also includes some lesser offenses where we know we're not going to get thrown into jail for um, 
you know, getting a traffic violation or jaywalking, a lot of times that law is not even enforced. And so oftentimes we, we think in terms of, well, I'm not a lawbreaker. I'm not a lawbreaker of the state because I haven't murdered someone. I haven't been thrown into jail and brought before the courts for these serious charges. But if we have ever received a traffic ticket or some lesser fine or even broke the law in a way that we didn't get caught. We are lawbreakers. In the eyes of the law, we have broken the law of Pennsylvania. You might say, well, it's not a big deal. But it still makes us someone who has broken the law. And so the bottom line and why this is so important here, where, where Paul talks about this, this one who is born, he is born under the law, is that we are all lawbreakers and there's no way around this. In fact, when we think about ourselves as lawbreakers before God, we might think that, okay, if everyone under the law is guilty under the law, we need salvation to come outside of the law. We need another way. We need to circumvent this law because the law is the problem. However, however, in order to be just and in order to be faithful, God brought salvation through the law. Jesus wasn't born outside of the law. He, he didn't skirt and cheat the system. He was born under the law. And this was done explicitly to redeem those under the law. Now, Paul spends significant time in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2 and 3, and we'll, we'll look at a couple of verses in chapter 3, but he spends significant time clarifying that adoption into the family of God comes by faith in Christ, not the works of the law. There is no possible way for a person to become a child of God by keeping the law. In Galatians chapter 3, in verse number 10, what does he say there? He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. All who rely on good works and keeping the law are under a curse. And how is that curse removed? Well, he tells us in verse number 14. Thir well, 13 and 14, but, but notice the last two words of verse 14. Through faith. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that the curse is removed. Why? Because of what he says in 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has taken our curse. A curse that was just, a curse that was deserved because of our failure to keep the law. And the only way that Jesus could take our curse is not to be under a curse himself. But what's, what's so amazing about this small phrase that he was born under the law is Jesus didn't escape the curse because he escaped the law. Paul, Paul's words here are so important. He was under the same law as anyone else. And so, and so if you're putting two and two together, you might say, wait, okay, so if Jesus is born under the law, this must mean that he lived under the law, but was not under a curse himself. 
This can only point to a life that was lived in perfection to the law. The law could find no fault in him. He stood in innocence under the law. And this is such a crucial point that even Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and in verses 17 and following points this out because he says, I have not come to destroy the law. I'm not coming to undermine it or to, to skirt around it or, or to somehow make it null and void. But I've, I've not come to destroy it, but I've come to fulfill it. I've, I've come to live under it in perfection. You see, if Jesus were found guilty under the law, he could in no way become our curse. However, where the law found guilt in every other person, it found no guilt in Christ, which enables him to take your guilt and exchange it for his perfect life. Think about this, friend. You stand before God as completely perfect. Not just a really good person. There's not even a traffic ticket on your record before God. Completely perfect. Not, nothing else brings this type of hope. Nothing else can bring you into the family of God. Only Jesus's perfect life lived through the law. So when we think about this hope that we have here on this first Advent week. The hope of adoption into God's family comes at the right time. How God ordered all things in your life to bring about your redemption. It comes through the incarnation. It comes through the law. And so we start this Christmas season hoping for a lot of things. And not all of those things are bad. Maybe you're hoping for good health. Maybe you're hoping for some time with family. Maybe, maybe you're hoping for certain gifts. Maybe you're ho hoping for certain political changes or cultural changes. And, and not all of those things are bad again, but none of these things are a secure hope. Your health, your family, your country, your, your possessions can't redeem you from sin. You are still guilty under the law and you're under the curse of the law. But when our faith looks to the incarnate son and his perfect work under the law, we are made sons. We are made daughters. God is our Father, and we have an eternal inheritance of spiritual blessings that awaits us. When Jesus returns, the fullness of these things will be realized. And, and so we do anticipate his second coming because we already know that he has come. He's been sent forth from God, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those under the law. So I would invite you today to, to rejoice in your adoption if you're trusting in Christ. Or I would invite you to come to Jesus today and be adopted into the family of God. This is the hope that we anticipate when we think about Jesus coming as a baby, because we know that he didn't stay a baby, but died on the cross, rose again, ascended to heaven, and one day we know that he will return. Let that be our hope as we start this Christmas season. Let's bow in prayer. Father, 
Thank you so much for the hope that we have in Christ, this hope of adoption, this hope that is secure. At the right time, you sent forth your son to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us who are under the law so that we might have adoption as sons. And being sons and daughters of God, that we are heirs together with Christ. And we rejoice in that. Lord, let us cling to this hope today and let it be our rejoicing day in and day out until we reconvene once again and regather for worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we will look forward to next week, December 6th, regathering back as a as a body at our normal time, 945 in worship. Um, in, in the meantime, love one another, pray for one another, care for one, for one another well, and encourage one another in this hope we have in Jesus Christ. Have a blessed day.